rush and hurry to the stillness of God's peace. From our vain ambitions worry, come to Christ to find release. Come away from noise and clamor, life's demands a frenzied pace. Come to join the people gathered here to seek and find God's grace. In the pastures of God's goodness, we lie down to rest our soul. From the waters of God's mercy, we drink deeply our made whole. At the table of God's presence, all the saints are richly fed. With the oil of God's anointing, into service we are Gabe Martinez, and I'm the president of Student Senate, um, and I was asked today to lead the prayer and set the theme for today. So, um, come away from the rush and hurry, come away from noise and clamor, come away from life's demands and frenzied pace, come to join the people gathered here to seek and find God's face. Welcome to the space, welcome to worship, we have lots going on in our lives. We are busy, we are scattered, distracted, overcommitted, undernourished, back-to-back -back classes, meetings, practices, studying, writing, reading, and don't forget socializing. We hustle and work so we can keep up, barely time to grab something to eat so we can move on to the next thing. We are exhausted and yet we have trouble sleeping at night. Science fiction writer Octavia Butler says, there's no end to what, living, to what a living world will demand of you. Our service today is about Sabbath, a word that actually means rest. Today, as we worship, you are invited to rest, set aside um, the mental load of all that you are carrying, put your phone in your pocket, lay down your homework, resist the urge to talk to your friends, and simply lean in for the next hour and a half or so. Be still, breathe, rest, respire, descanse. Let us pray. God of rest, we want more than a life lived to exhaustion. Free us from our culture's message that production, consumption, and achievement is the way to happiness. Remind us you have designed our bodies for rest, renewal, play and dreaming. We have traded our peace for the frenzied noise of an exhausted world. Help us return to ourselves, to have change, to have the courage to say no, to set boundaries that protect our hearts and our souls and our minds. Help us receive what we need today as we open our minds and hearts to hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Amen. 
please stand, and if you want the music, you can turn to number 167 in the Voices Together book. Number 167. Please stand. Thirty-seven. Number three, seven.
together. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kennedy Stewart. I'm the current Vice President of the Black Student Union here at Goshen College. And today I'm going to be reading Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember to, to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days of each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord to your God. For the sixth day of the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Thank you. We are so happy to have our guest speaker here today. He is Jay Shetler and he is lead pastor at Maple City Church. Um, he is a licensed clinical psychologist and a life coach. He has a group practice in Goshen. His wife, Beth, is here. Um, they've been married 28 years, and they have two children, Michael and Hannah, who are both pursuing their dreams in Southern California. That sounds like a great place to be right now. Anyway, we're thrilled to have him. Please welcome Jay Shuttler. Thank you, Jen, and good morning. Let me try it again. Good morning. Good. I like that. Um, I just want to say thank you to Jen for invitation, for the uh, Zion, actually, who goes to our church. It was part of the team, I think, that, that put the word out. So thank you for that. Thanks, Kennedy, for the, for the scripture and the worship. Time was, was just incredible. I'm excited about being here with you guys to talk about this really important subject. We did a series at our church a few months back called Sabbath as Resistance. It comes from really a book by Walter Brueggemann called Sabbath as Resistance, saying no to a culture of now. Um, and the challenge for me this morning is to fit five sermons into 25 minutes. But I think Gabe said we have an hour and a half. So I, th I thought it was going to be shorter than that. So we're fine. Um, now I'm curious, first of all, what comes to your mind when you hear the word Sabbath? Like, what is it that automatically just kind of pops into your head? And you don't have to say it out loud, but just think for a minute. What comes to your mind when you think about Sabbath? Some of you, maybe it's just another word for Sunday. It's a church day where you go to church. For some of you, it may be a day off, like from your normal, whether it's work or school or sports. Maybe a day to catch up 
on homework, housework, friends, relationships. If you grew up in a more maybe conservative, religious background, perhaps it is a day of no's. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Some of you, maybe, I have no idea, I've never heard of the word before in my life, so this is all new to you, and that's totally fine too. Before I talk about Sabbath, I want to just mention this word resistance that is in this title, title Sabbath as resistance. The refusal to accept or comply with something. That's really what Sabbath is going to be as we talk about it. It's this way of resisting. When I think of, of what we're resisting, uh, there's parts to our culture that are like a stream that has a current to it, and it's pushing us in a certain direction. And I would argue that that stream maybe isn't always um, in our best interest. It doesn't bring about our best selves if we just kind of go with that stream. So the, the person, for example, who developed likes on Facebook or streaks on Snapchat or notifications for your phone, they may not have had your mental health in mind when they developed those. Right? And advertisers who talk about how tasty and convenient fast food is may not have had your physical health in mind. Right, so there's these currents that push us in certain directions that may not be life-giving, may not be the, the best version of yourself as a result of following those currents. And I think Sabbath is a practice that can help us resist some of those currents, those that rob us of life, those that, that don't help us become the best versions of ourselves. So Sabbath is this, this practice. This morning I'm going to talk about a couple of those currents, that, and then we'll talk about Sabbath and how it helps us resist, but the currents are busyness and consumerism. I'm going to focus on just those two this morning. Um, busyness and consumerism. Gabe did a great job of defining busyness a second ago when he, when he talked. Uh, but these are currents that have been around for a long time. I'll talk just a little bit about technology. I think technology has increased the pace of that current in our, in our day and age. Um, and all of these currents, I think, lead to anxiety. Anxiety, uh, we see a spike. You probably have heard of this, but... In your age group especially, um, there is a spike. As many as 50% of young adults say they experience symptoms of anxiety and depression. I think these, these currents in our culture are part of what pushes us in that direction of anxiety and depression. So um, ultimately, Sabbath is one of the best ways to combat anxiety and depression and help with our mental health as well. Um, as Jen said, I'm, I'm a psychologist by training. Um, said I would never be a pastor, but somehow ended up there. So... Um, I love bringing those two worlds together. I think our best health comes as we bring together what we learn from science and what we learn from Scripture. And so we're going to do a bit of that this morning as well. So Sabbath, what, what, is, what is Sabbath? It really is a, a practice of setting aside one day a week to live differently. To take one day and live in such a way that makes you most fully alive or, or brings out the best version of yourself. It's a concept that's deeply rooted in, in the Judeo-Christian uh, Scripture and so we're going to look at some of those scriptures today. But if you have no religious background, don't believe in God, don't believe in the Bible, I, I'm thoroughly convinced that there's something about Sabbath that will be helpful to you as well as you seek out life that is truly life or the best, the best version of life that you can find. And so we're going to look at a couple scriptures where, where this, the idea of Sabbath is, is first established. The first time we see this in Genesis, in the creation story. second time is in what we call the Exodus story, where the Israelites come out of slavery. So let's start with the creation story here. We see in Genesis 2, um, it says this, On the seventh day, God had finished God's work of creation, so God rested from all God's work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it, because it was the day when God rested from all God's work of creation. Genesis tells the seven-day creation story, and um, seven was a highly symbolic number 
in that culture. So when they heard this story back then, they didn't go, what, God did all that literally in seven days? That's mind-blowing. They said, seven days? Ah, God made a good and perfect world. That's what you're supposed to think of when you, when you hear this story, that, that God created this universe that was good and perfect and full of, of love. And then we get to this word rested. What does it mean God rested? Are we saying that God was just so exhausted after creating everything, he just he needed to lay down for a while? Like he just couldn't quite keep going. I don't think that's what, what we mean. The word here in Hebrew really means to cease or stop exertion, to repose, to sit, or to lounge. This is a word used of kings when, when all their enemies were defeated. And they could, they could pause and they could catch their breath. And, and more than that, it was a time for the kingdom to be at peace, a time of celebration, thanksgiving, feasting, and play. So while Sabbath may involve napping or resting, it's about far more than that. It's really about this idea of, of celebrating, playing, feasting, delighting. So to say, oh, the other thing about this, this scripture is that scholars have noted is that the, the day doesn't have an ending like the other days of creation. If you go back and read the story, all the other days have some phrase like evening passed and morning came, making the end of the first day, second day, third day. There is no such ending for the seventh day. What is that about? Scholars would say that, that this was meant to be an unending day or age. Gods and humans in a state of perfect union with each other and with God in a good and beautiful world. Right? It was heaven on earth. That's the way God intended us to live. But if you follow the big story of the Bible, it didn't take long for things to change. We're no longer living in heaven and earth. And sometimes, quite honestly, it feels more like hell on earth. Sabbath is meant to take us back and to remind us of what was lost. To have us taste as much of heaven here and now as we can. It's a time to pause and focus on all that is good and beautiful in the world. and A day of awe and wonder, gratitude, generosity, play and delight. Ultimately, it's a day of immersion into anything and everything that is life-giving. So what is it that reminds you of God's beauty and goodness? What produces feelings of gratitude, awe, wonder, delight? What makes you feel fully alive? Those are all the things to pursue on a Sabbath day. We're at our best, I argue, that if we set aside one day to focus on those things. I think this Genesis story is particularly helpful as we think of, of pushing back against this culture of busyness. Um, and you're all busy people, I'm sure. I mean, it's hard to live in our culture without experiencing this sense of busyness. If you ask someone, how are you doing? Fine is probably the most common answer. It's, it's the most polite, culturally appropriate. But the one right after that is busy. And at some level, we're all bought into this, I would say, this lie that somehow being busier means somehow we're more successful. It, it, it's a, it, it's a, like a badge of honor we wear in our culture to say that we're busy, busy people. And technology, I'm convinced, plays a role in this. There was a time where technology without... Let me say this too. I'm not against technology. I love technology. But it's taken away some of the natural opportunities for rest. There was a time, which some of you may remember, when phones were attached to walls. Right? And you couldn't take it with you. And so when you left the house, you had a natural time of rest from the demands of people calling. Mobile technology, it goes with you, changes things. I get ticked if my wife doesn't answer the phone when I call her. Like she should be available 24-7 whenever I need her. And that's kind of, we live in this on-demand culture. 
Right? And so th- this idea of, of technology really does, I think, um, increase the sense of busyness and stress that we live in. Multitasking becomes the answer to, for busy people. We do as much as we can all at the same time. And there's a lot of actually new studies that show that multitasking actually leads to less productivity, um, more, um, not as good a work, and it interferes with relationships as well. They even have come up with some interesting words like technoference. When your electronic devices get in the way of relationships or fubbing, phone snubbing. I'm sure none of you have had that experience or done this, but when you're on your phone instead of, you know, with the person who's right there next to you. A lot of research saying that this busyness is having a negative effect on our emotional, physical, uh, relational, and spiritual health. Um, Emotionally, there's higher rates of depression, anxiety, irritability, guilt, stress. Physically, we have higher rates of acid reflux, disease, we have irritable bowel syndrome, we have ulcers, headaches, sleep disturbance. Relationally, we're disconnected, isolated. There can be a lack of depth in our relationships. Now, the culture that we live in, that busy culture, has some solutions for you. All right, they're solutions that busy people love. So if you're struggling emotionally, you could buy this book, The 10-Minute Cognitive Workout. Manage your mood and change your life in 10 minutes a day. Like, it's, it's, it's easy, right? It should be easy. Or this one, five-minute fitness, maximum benefit, minimum effort. I love that tagline. Like, can you imagine that for whatever athletic team you happen to be on? Join the basketball team. Maximum benefit, minimum effort. <laughs> right? Probably not. Or how about this one? Two minutes for God, quick fixes for the Spirit. And we kind of chuckle at that, but the truth is most of us have bought into this to some degree as a solution for our busy lives. Some of you right now Googling five-minute fitness. That sounds really good. I think I'm going to try we buy into the seductiveness of this, that the solution should be quick and easy. Jesus said this. He said, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. The most important things in life, and we know this deep down, they're not quick and easy. You can't rush your way to it. You can't hurry your way through it. When we get too busy, we don't give priority to the things that matter most, and we're not attentive to the people who matter most. I have here, and you're welcome to take a picture of the screen here if it's helpful to you, but um, these are five practices that I think help with this sense of busyness. And I have practice in front of each one of them because it is it's both a thing you do, a practice is something you do, and practice is something you do to get better at it, right? So these are all things to do and, and to do again and again and again because it'll make you better and better at resisting busyness. So setting some kind of limit around technology, and that may vary depending on, on who you are um, and, and what you're wrestling with, but limiting screen time, social media. Social media particularly seems to be something that can increase anxiety. Um, limit especially the, they call infinity scrolling. There's no end to the swipes. I just scroll, swipe, scroll, and there's no end to it. Be fully present. Turn off your phone. Be fully present with the people around you. Practice slowing. Just walk slower. Talk slower. Get in the longest line when you come up to multiple lines. Get in the slowest lane of track. Practice, practice slowing. 
And then practice savoring, delighting, playing. Pay attention to sunsets and sunrises, the smell of flowers, flavors of food, anything that, that um, helps sense your, put your senses um, alive. The last one then is practice meditation, yoga, mindfulness. Um, these are always spiritual practices that help us slow and connect uh, relationally and spiritually with God and with, with even our own selves. I think, you know, when God said that seventh day is holy, God did something really radical. In that day and age, there were spaces that were holy, but time wasn't holy. Like they had temples where you would go to, but this is the first time in, in, in human history where a day was set aside to rest and to worship. And so in doing that, God really made time holy. Holy means set apart, sacred, precious. Right? Holy, precious, uh, sacred. It's, it's filled with the divine. It's, it's, it's something that you, you make sure that you don't want to take for granted. Cheryl Caffey is one of the professors here, a nursing professor, and she attends church. She gave me permission to share, but she's struggling with cancer. She's got a Caring Bridge journal that she posts in from time to time. And a while back, she was having a particularly rough day, and she, she posted. One of the things that, that I, I read this to support her, but it just inspires me. I mean, her positivity in the midst of what she's struggling with is, is mind-blowing to me. Um, and she's, she makes this post. In the very end, she simply says, she says this, go grab life. It's precious. And too often it takes a crisis for us to realize that time is precious. Right? Time is truly precious. And so Sabbath helps us see time through different eyes. It helps us see really every moment as holy and sacred and precious. Well, let's jump to the second. The Exodus story also talks about Sabbath. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years Moses helps lead them out. They end up at Mount Sinai, and God gives them a variety of commandments. He gives them the most famous, they're kind of ten commandments um, there on Mount Sinai. And the Sabbath happens to be one of those commandments. And so um, we heard this earlier reading, but remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. So it's talking there about not working. And imagine what this would have sounded like to people who had been enslaved for 400 years. They were just building bricks for Pharaoh, and their, their entire worth had been reduced to just what they could produce. And the system of Pharaoh was about what could be accumulated. And here is a God who is saying, the most special day is a day where I require nothing of you to prove your worth. It's a message that worth is something that's inherent. It's in here. It's not what you accumulate or what you produce that defines your value. It was a whole regime change for the Israelites that God was inviting them to. And at the, at the core of it was really their freedom. I think this story is particularly important as we look at resisting consumerism. Consumerism is really this message we get from culture that says more is better. More is better. The more you have, the more you can produce the happier you will be. If you pause just for a minute and think about commercials, um, I've looked for this statistic many times and it's hard to find exactly, but the best I can find, it, the research says you're exposed to somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements a day. Now your brain has, been, has learned to ignore a large chunk of them. But think about what a commercial is. The entire point of a commercial is to make you feel dissatisfied with your life as it is, right? So 
four to 10,000 times a day, you're getting a message that you would be happier if only you had or did. It's no wonder that we feel dissatisfied. I have a question here for you. It's not a trick question. Would you be happier, all other things being equal, if you earned $50,000 or $100,000? How many of you would say $100,000? Again, it's not a trick question. Everybody says 100000 But the problem is, that's not really how life works. How about this question? Would you be happier if you lived in a world where you made 50000 and everyone else around you made 25000 or in a world where you made 100000 and everyone else around you made 200000 That poses a dilemma for people. Right? This has been done by asking different questions about physical attractiveness, intelligence, and, and it seems that most of us would prefer to be poorer, dumber, and uglier as long as we're not poorer, dumber, and uglier than the people around us. That's what research shows. The truth is when we evaluate our lives to determine whether we should be content or happy or feel blessed, we don't do it by looking at what we have. We, we do it by what psychologists call social comparison. We look at the people around us. And the important thing in comparison is what psychologists call reference point. What is your point of reference? You're there. You can compare yourself to people worse off than you or better off than you. Guess what we tend to do most naturally? We compare ourselves to people who are better off than us. That's our natural inclination. And it leaves us feeling like we're lacking something. You can see why maybe social media isn't the best for our mental health. Because social media is like everyone's highlight reel, right? Best vacation, best selfie, which is probably not even a real selfie anyways, you know. So it, it, it naturally makes us feel inadequate. The whole thing of, of really comparing ourselves to others is absolutely anxiety-provoking and exhausting, to be honest. We read in Galatians in the New Testament, this, this verse says, don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. It's really saying the best comparison is, is you. Compare yourself to yourself, right? Compare yourself to yourself and, and the, the version of yourself that you most want to be and, and do the best you can to be the best version of yourself. Jesus said this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And again, we know that. True life isn't about what we accumulate, but it's so tempting when more is your God, you will never do enough, have enough, or be enough. And you will never experience peace. I'm going to have to fast forward a little bit, I think, to get to the end here. Let me just say this really quick, that it's interesting. Walter Brugman in his book points this out, that the Sabbath commandment falls in the middle of these ten commandments. First three commandments are all about loving God. The last six commandments are all about loving other people. I don't think it's a coincidence that the command of Sabbath is right in between. It's hard to really connect with the divine if you don't set aside specific time and space to do that. And I would argue it's really hard to love other people if you don't have some kind of connection with the divine. Like it's really hard to be a loving person. And so Jesus reminds us that really the ultimate goal in life is to love God, love others as we love ourselves. And I think you could argue that the ultimate goal of Sabbath is to learn how to love God better love others better, and love yourself better. 
So here, and again, you can take a picture of this. These are some practices to resist consumerism. It turns out if you want to feel joyful and happy and satisfied, there's two things you can do that work better than anything else, and it has nothing to do with what you accumulate. It's gratitude and generosity. Research shows again and again and again that people who are, are grateful for what they have experience joy. And people who are willing to give away what they have to others, to bless others, experience joy. More joy than the people who actually receive it. And then you have practices of loving God, loving others, loving yourself, setting aside time to connect with God on a Sabbath, setting aside time to, to connect with other people, and setting aside time to think about what does it mean to be loving toward myself, practicing good, good self-care as a part of that. Um, again, here's another one you can take a picture of, but this is, a, this is kind of an outline to, to set up your own pra- Sabbath day. Pick a time frame. Maybe for you it's just an hour. I'm going to take one hour and put my phone away or something like that. Um, most Sabbaths, like pick evening to morning or some kind of a, a time frame. Start with that. Choose something to start this with. Some people light a candle. That's a signal that this is a starting time and then you blow it out when it's done. But some ritual that says I'm starting my Sabbath and now I'm ending my Sabbath. Um, prepare ahead of time. It's, you have to be really intentional to do Sabbath well. And so do what you can to prepare ahead of time for, for whatever your plan is for that Sabbath. Um, plan what to eliminate. What do I need to get rid of to be able to, to rest and Sabbath well? And then think about what you want to add. Something that's life-giving. Something that will help you um, experience uh, more life to the full. Like lighting candles, saying a prayer, uh, sharing a meal. Right? There's all kinds of things that, that you could do that will, just, will, will help you um, connect with God and connect with others along the way. Start simple and grow it from there. One of the things that didn't have time to talk about today, one of the sermons we did was Sabbath as resistance to legalism. Um, the, the point of this stuff isn't to legalistically follow something. In fact, one of the things Jesus said when asked about Sabbath, he actually got in trouble for violating the Sabbath rules. He said, hey, Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. So this is not a legalistic requirement. This is something you do that adds life to, to do your life, something that helps you become the best version of yourself. We have one quote here from Walter Brueggemann that I want to just say because this is, I think, this is the core. People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes. It is a pause that transforms. You do this one day a week because you want to live every day of the week differently. And so, again, I just want to encourage you to think about how you can do those things. Um, Just setting aside, whether it's a full day or part of a day, to practice Sabbath. I want to invite you, if you would, just, I'm going to read one last verse and invite you just to close your eyes. And this is the message version. And allow this just to kind of sink through you. This is the words of Jesus who really invites us to come to him to find ultimate, ultimate Sabbath, ultimate rest. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. Thank you. I'd like you to join me in a song. I wrote this as a response 
to this invitation to rest. I'll sing first and then um, invite you to join me on the refrain. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Mm -hmm. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I, I am gentle, you will find rest, find rest, you will find rest in me, you will find rest, find rest. You will find rest in me. Please join me when you can. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke upon Go in peace.